This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. The United Nations Climate Change Summit, or COP26, was held earlier this month in Glasgow, Scotland. There was a lot of anticipation and hype going into the summit, but was it as impactful as expected? Senior writer with The Edge, Tan Zai-yun, or fondly known as Nat, she was our eyes and ears on the ground, and she joins me today to share her observations from the summit. Good morning, Nat. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So can we start with um, a reminder on why the COP26 is seen as a crucial event on the climate change agenda? Why is this such an important event? Yeah, so um, COP26, so COP actually means Conference of Parties, and it's where um, all the countries that are party to the uh, conventions of the UNFCCC come together and uh, decide on climate-related matters. And, you know, a few years ago, if you remember the Paris Agreement, so that was decided during a COP as well. Okay, so it's uh, it's supposed to be a yearly event, um, but this was derailed somewhat when the pandemic uh, broke out in 2020. That's right. So I suppose a lot of the issues that um, were meant to be discussed had had been delayed until the event in November this year. That's right. So it was supposed to go on last year, but they delayed it. And um, the organizers, so this time is UK and Italy, and they insisted that we have to do it this year because uh, climate change doesn't wait. Okay. And there was a lot of debate prior to the conference over whether it should even be held because the pandemic was still going on, yeah? And there were concerns that the summit um, wouldn't be as inclusive because there were so many travel restrictions and maybe those who would normally attend these conferences wouldn't be able to attend. Um, And you were there on the ground. So what do you think? Were the organizers able to assuage these doubts? What was attendance like? Yeah, so definitely there were a lot of complaints that uh, representation from a lot of the people were uh, not fully represented. Uh, so a lot of people were not fully represented because they could not afford the plane tickets to get there. And when we before we get there, you know, we need to go through PCR tests. And when we got there, we need to get another PCR test. So the costs actually do add up because especially for some countries, they also have to take into consideration quarantine um, once you get in the UK and once you go back. So yeah, many people, a lot of the... Um, civil society organizations have pointed out that uh, representation from uh, some of the less developed countries or indigenous people were hindered because of that. Mm. How did the organizers overcome those limitations then? Were a lot of the programs held virtually? Um, Was that kind of the main uh, model? I wouldn't say the main model, but yes, uh, all the sessions were... uh, the ones that are open for the public and for observers, you can actually watch it online. Um, but I heard that in the first few days, uh, the system was actually crashing down. So, <laughs> so a lot of people actually weren't able to access the live stream videos. Mm-hmm. So there were there were hiccups, definitely, um, in terms of the technology used to um, transmit the conference. You attended the conference in person. So was this as part of the media delegation from Malaysia? I mean, what can you tell us about the Malaysian participation at the conference? Yeah, so I did not go as part of the Malaysian delegation. I actually applied for a fellowship by Earth Journalism Network, and um, their purpose is to bring journalists from developing countries to cover COP, which is very important because mm-hmm. um, if you walk into the media center there, you do see, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very monoculture in a sense. Mm. So, um, yeah, in terms of Malaysia, uh, if I, if uh, from what I'm aware, um, there were only two of us uh, media people from Malaysia mm-hmm. and um our delegation, there were over 20 of them um, representing the government. But of course, there are also Malaysian NGOs um, mm. who 
participated under their own badges. Yeah. Okay. So there was there was representation from Malaysia, a sizable representation from Malaysia. Although it, there there were comments that um, we didn't send a high-level delegation to the summit. The prime minister didn't attend. Um, I think it was only the minister uh, who attended later uh, during the conference. Um, does that say something about, um, about our commitment to climate change, do you think? Depends on how you look at it, for sure. Uh, so, during the first few days was actually the World Leaders Summit, which is why we heard most of the big announcements being made and, you know, all the presidents and whatnot coming up. Um, so that's the World Leaders Summit. and um, But the core of COP is actually the negotiations. Mm. And so that was what went through for the 10 days. And that was where our delegations were, were working hard. And our minister came uh for the high-level segment, which is, I think, in the, the second week to present uh, our updated NDCs, mm. which is something that all the countries um, do as well. So for sure, like attendance during the World Leaders Summit, like sending your prime minister and president, it's it's a form of sending a signal. Mm. Um, yeah, but then, you know, you will hear people talking about uh, criticizing that as well and saying that it's just people making empty promises mm. um, with no strategies. Uh, um, they're just making these promises, but then in the negotiation table, they're saying something different. Mm. So, you know, I think it, it depends on how you think the strategy should be. <laughs> right. It really depends on what kind of glasses you're wearing or which side of the aisle you want to stand when you're uh, looking at it. Can we talk about how the atmosphere of the conference was like? Because typically these international conferences have a very vibrant atmosphere. Oftentimes there's a large uh, protest presence. Um, but uh, did the pandemic dull the occasion in Scotland this time? You know, I'm sure that if there was no pandemic, there would be more people. But if there were there were at least two major marches throughout Glasgow when, when this was going on. And I attended one of them and it was very exciting. There were a lot of people, a lot of young people, especially marching mm-hmm. through uh, the streets. And there were also protesters uh, right outside the venue mm. and inside the venue as well by the NGOs and observers. And um, so I would say I found the whole atmosphere very interesting and exciting because you will see these people uh, mounting a protest about fossil fuel or mm. about carbon markets. And you'll see the negotiators just walking past them, you know, maybe they'll stop by and listen. Um, so that kind of juxtaposition, that kind of dynamics was very interesting to observe. OK, so there was interaction between the two, between the protesters trying to make a point and with the negotiators who are actively um, talking about the, the document that's being discussed. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they they will hear the protesters yelling their their demands, even if they're they you know are wearing headphones. <laughs> okay, um, and the headlines coming out of COP twenty six were mixed, as you mentioned. You know, it could be spun either way, whether it's positive or negative. Um, so, what would you say were your main positive takeaways from the announcement made there? Let's start with um, what impressed you, if if anything did. Ooh. Um... For, for the negotiations itself, I think uh, some of the wins that most people are saying uh, is, you know, for the first time, adaptation is uh, adaptation to climate change. It has received more focus. Usually we talk about mitigation. So this would be, for example, cutting down on carbon emissions. Um, and it's also the first time loss and damage has, has, is seeing a big role. So these two things are actually quite important for mm. Southeast Asia and Asia. Um, because a lot of us are already suffering from the impacts of climate change, and you know, countries like the Philippines are suffering from typhoons. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, this is very important for the developing world. Okay. And yeah, and and so on funding, I think it's a very mixed bag as well. In the end, they do say that developed countries are still on the hook for develop, developing the financing commitment. Um, and 
you know, this year, all countries, uh, as part of the Paris Agreement, they have had to submit their enhanced um, national targets called NDCs this year. Mm-hmm. So I, that, that is good news that most of them did submit one. Um, and the rule book for uh, the Paris Agreement was actually completed in this, this uh, COP as well. So that, I suppose that would be a form of good news. What is the rule book, if you don't mind me asking, if you could elaborate a little bit what, what it means? Yeah, so it's basically just like the rules on how to operationalize uh, what, what the Paris Agreement, like what they decided on. So, for example, in this time, they finished discussing the rules about carbon markets. Uh, so international carbon markets, how should it work, how to avoid double counting. Um, they also finished stuff about transparency and um, uh, reporting. So these are like more, wow. more of the reporting details. Right. Yeah. Okay. And this, and just to note that the Paris Agreement was signed four years ago, and it's only four years later or five years later, really, that they actually put down the rules of how to implement what was agreed on. Yeah, so um, you know, um, they, they have many things to discuss on, but uh, this was the last few things, especially cover markets has received a lot of different views, that's why. Okay, all right. Well, I'm speaking to Tan Yun, Senior Writer with The Edge, on the outcome of the UN Climate Change Summit, or COP26. When we come back, how did Malaysia's pledges stack up against the rest of the world? Stay with us for more observations from the ground. BFM 89.9. Hello, thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana, and with me on the show today is Tan Zai Yun, senior writer with The Edge. We're discussing key takeaways from COP26 held in Glasgow earlier this month. So Nat, earlier we spoke about the positive developments from the summit, and you listed several, such as more discussion on adaptation, um, you know, talking about funding and uh, how developed countries are still on the hook to fund mitigation and ad- adaptation efforts in the developing world. Also, the uh, successful completion of the rule book for the Paris Agreement. Uh, but at the same time, many parties felt that the COP26 outcome was not impactful enough to prevent the worst effects of climate change. Where did expectations fall short? Yeah, so actually on, on, on many issues. Um, so for example, you know, even though we said that for the first time, there's more focus on adaptation and loss and damage. But um, so some of the countries demanded for a funding facility for loss and damage, but uh, that was shot down and instead a dialogue was create, uh, is created for more to discuss more loss and damage issues next year. Um, so, you know, that, that's one thing. And then um, again, uh, if we take all the national commitments together, we are still on track for warming. I think one of the estimates was we're still on, on track for 2.2 degrees uh, Celsius of warming by the mm-hmm. end of the century. So, you know, we're not doing enough, obviously. And um, a lot of the net zero language that we've used so far, uh, actually, a lot of it is not aligned or reflected in the national commitments. Mm. So at this point, you know, how are the countries going to achieve it? Um, it it's still a question mark. Mm. And then, of course, there's the, I think the, a, a big controversy and a huge drama was on the fossil fuel language. That's so right. For the first time, it was mentioned in, in the cover text, but it's watered down language, you know, um, yeah, the, the unabated coal, facing down and inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. Um, you know, there's a lot of different views to that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that fossil fuel for the first time was mentioned was great. And then there are, there are people who are angry at some of the developing countries like India who, you know, brought up this uh, weak language, mm-hmm. right? But then on the other side, you know, India and all, they would say that, well, we have to take into consideration our, a lot of our people who are still, we have still rely on fossil fuel for their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you developed countries, you should step up more and you should you should be the one who is completely facing out fossil fuel. Right. Um, so, you know, it comes into the whole uh, they call it the common but differentiated responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's something that we have to think about as well on on how who should do more, I guess, or who should do mm, faster. Mm. And a lot of these things are un, unsettled. Yeah, I was reading the headlines about that um, debate on what phrases to use for um, fossil fuels and coal, right? And and the whole phase out or phase down. What was it like um, at, at at the conference itself, Nat? I mean, as a as a journalist, kind of watching these proceedings, how did it unfold for you? Yeah, when we heard it, because this was uh, when when COP went over time, and and you know it was on Saturday, and we were just hanging out in the media center. Mm-hmm. So um, some of my fellow journalists, especially those who cover India, were, were telling me that oh, they're not surprised and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at, at this point, I think a few of us were just wondering why are people. Uh, fighting and arguing over just a few words mm. and, and you know what is the significance of these few words um what does it do mm. and so all these things are things that i think we have to question as well and, and again these are just words is the actions that speak louder than the words mm. and you know the actions of these countries after and before cop as well just Show, show some different pictures. Yeah. Right, right. It's so funny, yeah, how much effort was put into trying to determine, like you said, just these words. Um, but really, the proof isn't going to be in the pudding after. Um, and on that note, let's take a look at what Malaysia pledged at the conference. You know, what has Malaysia committed to do in tackling the risks of climate change? What are the highlights that you see? Yeah, so we um, presented our updated uh, national target, so which is called NDC. Actually, we already announced it before COP. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and it is a step up from our previous NDC, uh, which was um, now we're we're going to, we're committing to forty five percent reduction of uh, GHG intensity emissions mm-hmm. uh, unconditionally. Before this, it was thirty five percent thirty five percent unconditional and ten percent uh, conditional. Mm-hmm. So now it's just. 45% unconditional. Um, and so during uh, COP, we mentioned that. And then we also said that we would sign up for the methane and halt deforestation pledges. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are things that we said we, we would sign or we have signed? We have signed. We have signed. Okay. So we have committed to those pledges. Um, how would you contrast our commitments compared to other peers in the region? I mean, are we more ambitious? Are we less ambitious? How where, how do we stack up? Um. I can't say like in detail. Like I haven't analyzed, you know, all of the mm-hmm. Southeast Asian countries' targets. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all of us are heading towards. Uh, actually, almost a lot of the countries in this region do have some kind of carbon neutral goal as well, like like we do. But again, that's not part of the COP because it's not reflected in our NDC, and we do have a carbon neutrality goal. That's but, oh, okay. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of countries in the region do have this, and I was sitting in the. I, I attended a panel where um, they were all talking about it, mm-hmm. and. You know, countries like Singapore was talking about we need more regional collaboration for um, renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, perhaps we could share it and on, on technology as well. And a lot of these countries were talking about the uh, sectoral emissions from different um, industries mm. and things that they can tackle. So, you know, it's pretty interesting to see that we have a lot of commonality and we, we are so close together geographically, right? So mm-hmm. it seems that there's a lot of things that we could actually work together uh, and work towards together. Okay, so there's, it's definitely worth for ASEAN countries um, to, to ramp up the discussion and, and maybe uh, put forward um, actual initiatives um, that can be done to respond to climate change collectively rather than just on an individual country basis. Um, looking at what Malaysia has promised, how do you think we should me- measure whether we make progress or not? I mean, what will what should we be looking out for um, in determining are we reaching our milestones? Are we on track to achieve what we say we're going to achieve, which is 45% um, uh, gas emis- emissions reduction? 
you could uh, if you're if you're really free, you could actually check out the Malaysia. <laughs> we we have to submit um, reports to the UN, and uh, one of this is the biannual update report. We submit every two years, and then there's another one called the National Communications. So if you read the BUR, I think it has a lot of very interesting information mm. about. Um, you know, which sectors uh, are our biggest GHG emission sources? Mm-hmm. What kind of GHG? And how far are we? I mean, the how far are we data is a bit less clear, but um, it is floating out there. And so that is one way for us to keep track of um, what is being done and mm. where, where are the major problems. Um, but as, as to like, what are we doing to tackle it? Um, I, I did ask the uh, lead delegate, you know, what, what can we expect? Like, is there roadmaps, there are strategies, there are hmm. plans? And he does say that uh, next year, end of the year, there will be the long-term low emissions uh, development strategy that we can look at that will have more details on how we'll be planning to reach our, our NDC and even the carbon neutral goal. Um, and there will be an NDC roadmap coming up and an adaptation plan. So, you know, hopefully this will provide us with more details on how we're planning to reach our targets. All right. Just to clarify, he said that this roadmap will come out at the end of 2022. Is that correct? That is for the long-term low emission strategy. Long-term that one, low that emissions. One. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So for the longer term one, it'll be towards the end of the year. But hopefully in between that, there's, I suppose, more information on on how we're going to uh, respond in the immediate future. Yes, we'll hope to see that. (laughs) Okay, that's definitely (laughs) something to keep an eye on. Um, What's going to happen next in the COP process, um, Nat? I mean, uh, will there be another meeting next year? Uh, What are people watching for? Yes, so there will be another meeting next year. It's going to be in Egypt. And, um, you know, some of the things that people are looking at, of course, is the loss and damage is one thing. A lot of people are angry about that. Uh, so loss and damage, adaptation, financing. Uh, I think that's going to be a thing in every COP. Mm. Um, and so actually next year, uh, countries are supposed to um, update their indices again to align with the 1.5 Celsius degree goal, because right now we're on track for 2.2, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I, I saw some reports saying some countries don't want to do that because they just updated their indices this year. So we'll see if that happens. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I assume that, you know, since um, Egypt does have oil and gas production, so I, I wonder if there will be more talk about fossil fuels mm. uh, face out next year as well, since it was such a huge topic this year. Yeah. Okay, so there's actually a lot to keep our eyes on. Um, final question, um, Nat, I suppose, what would be, how would you, what's your takeaway from the whole experience, uh, having attended um, the COP in, in Glasgow? I mean, what, are, what, what keeps you motivated or demotivated about this whole issue? I'll start with demotivated. So demotivated <laughs> is, I'm still thinking, you know, what is, um, what is the purpose of all this? discussions about these words on paper what is the significance i understand that it sends a signal out like a very strong signal of you know, the country leaders coming together but how strong is that signal how seriously should we take all the single words and texts there um and and i think there are, there's a lot of uh, what, what i found motivating is a few things i think is one is the the fact that all these countries are coming together to discuss the climate, mm. I, I think that's super important. And I think that's, even though they can't agree on a lot of things, it's still important to get everyone in the same room and talk about that. And then another thing is to see the youths and the NGOs and the protesters in action and really calling out uh, countries and, and businesses. I thought that was great. Like that kind of dynamic 
um, we should push for that more. It's a healthy struggle. <laughs> okay. All right. And I, I, I totally agree with you there, Nat. I think it's important um, for, and it's, it's, it's great to see the youth um, stepping up to highlight these issues because ultimately they're the ones who are going to be carrying um, the world forward. Um, in any case, though, Nat, thanks so much for speaking with me today and sharing your observations. Thank you very much. I've been speaking to Tan Zayun, senior writer with The Edge. You can read all her coverage on COP26 and more at theedgemarkets.com. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Uh, we have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, and then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.